Mary Cole when Ian was here a few weeks ago. He preached such an encouraging word for us and to stay true to our roots and to the basics of our faith. Um, but he said afterwards that one of the things that was also on his heart was actually to speak about the atonement of Christ. And, um, and so this is something that, that I've had on my heart for a while because it's such a lovely story, is the atonement of Christ. And I began preparing this, this message on the atonement of Christ. And we'll speak just a little bit just now about what the atonement is. But I got to realize that you can't start speaking about the atonement of Christ. As I was preparing, I realized, you know what, you need to first say this, and you need to first say this, and you need to first understand this. So, if you bear with me today, um, let's call it an introduction to the atonement of Christ that we'll be talking about. And... Um, and, uh, you know, we, we know that there's, we've got a problem. Uh, this, this morning I was, I was driving on the highway, coming to church. And I was going past these signboards on the highway. And um, it's, it's advertising for uh, movies that are showing on whatever channel or whatever. And the one section of the highway, the first billboard says, um, uh, Greed. And it's got a picture of this lady standing there. Then the next one says, um, the alpha male. It's all about the same series. And then the, the next one says, the competition. And they've got all these pictures of these faces on there, which just look horrific. You know, like just so angry and so vengeful. And then, I don't know if you guys have seen, but there's another one as you just turn onto the, the M1. Yeah. And it's this, this lady um, covered in blood. Her hands are all in, in blood. And what is it? Something about hit list or something. I don't know if you've seen that. And it's a huge billboard. And I just started wondering, you know, just tying in with what we're going to be talking about, how did we get here? Because obviously if those things have been advertised, this is what is appealing. This is what's drawing people. And there's, there's a desire for this. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. And how did we get to a stage where this is the thing that we desire and interests us and grabs our attention, these type of things? So it just creates a bit of a background for us when we, when we speak about the atonement. And it ties in wonderfully with what Joe has been preaching on in Philippians because Philippians 9 says, this is speaking about Paul now, and remember Paul, is, as if you remember what Joe's been talking about, he's listed all his credentials and all the reasons why he's so well qualified. And then he says, but all that is, is rubbish to me. And then when he gets to Philippians 9, uh, 3 verse 9, he says, To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So what is this? What is this that he's talking about? He says, all those things are, are rubbish to me, those, those my qualifications, all my background, but I want to be found in him, and I want this righteousness through faith in Christ 
the righteousness that comes from, from God. So this morning we're speaking a little bit about atonement, but as I say, it's an introduction. What is atonement then? What is atonement? Um, and in a theological dictionary, William Mounts' um, theological dictionary, he refers to two words that speak about atonement. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word to atone is to cover or to wipe clean. In the New Testament, the word is to have mercy, to appease, or to make well disposed towards. So in the Old Testament, to atone, to cover, or wipe clean. In the New Testament, it's to have mercy, to appease, or make well disposed towards. Then I also looked in Collins Dictionary, English Dictionary, and that's an easy term for us to understand. It says to be at one with or in, in harmony. And that, that just ties in with the nice of the word atonement. To be at one. At one mint. Atonement. Or in harmony. When, when is it that atonement will be required? Think about what, when would one need to have atonement? When, when does one need to be well disposed to have mercy, to be reconciled, or to be at harmony with someone. Well, firstly, there's, there's different parties involved. You need to have two different parties involved beforehand. Then, for atonement to be required, there would have to be a trespass. Something has to break that relationship in the first place. Otherwise, that, the relationship is atoned. But if there's a need for atonement, it means there would have to be atonement. Trespass. Something has to break that relationship. And then finally, there needs to be a need or a want for restoration. There must be a want for restoration. And therefore, an understanding of atonement starts with an understanding of the nature of the two parties. So remember I said it starts with two parties. That's where it all starts. And we need to understand a bit more about those two parties before we can understand about how atonement works. So in a biblical sense, when we speak about atonement in a biblical sense, we're speaking about the two parties, God the creator and man the creator, the created. And the, the key to understanding this is to understand God's nature. And there's many attributes of, of God's nature. And that's a lovely study to, to do as well, as all, to understand and study all the attributes. But if we just think about God's holiness... That's a key to, to understanding. So, remember Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6 verse 3. Remember when he had this vision of, of God. The seraphim are calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The seraphim are worshipping and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In 1 John 1 verse 5, it tells us that God is light. In Him there's no darkness at all. That just explains His holiness. In Him there's no darkness at all. And Exodus 15 verse 11 tells us, Who is like you, O God, glorious in holiness? So God's holiness is His glory. And if you think about the holiness of God, you know, God is also powerful 
He's also wise. He's also loving. But we would not normally say, when we're describing God, unless it's in a specific context, we would not, not normally say, our powerful God, or our wise God, or our loving God, unless there's a specific context for that. The same thing with God's Word, the Bible. We would not say, this is a wise Bible, or this is a powerful Bible, unless it's in a specific context. And yet we will say, this is a holy, this is the holy Bible. The name of this Bible is the holy Bible. And the name of God is our holy God. He's a holy God. And that just shows you how holiness is God's overarching quality that, that overarches all his other qualities. Um, and it's so wonderful that our God is holy. And if you can understand the holiness of God and that extreme holiness, it helps us to understand the nature of God and what happened um, with his creation. So on the contrast of holiness, we come to sin. We look at sin. And Wayne Grudem uh, explains sin in this way. He says, and he's a theologian, he's, he's written a, a book, and a lot of this, uh, the, the theology uh, is, is from Wayne Grudem's uh, writings. And he says, sin is any failure to, confer, to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. So note there it says act and nature. So we can see this in the Ten Commandments. Um, you shall not lie. Some of them say you shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not commit murder. Those are actions. Those are things that the Ten Commandments um, tells us his sin. Those are actions. But then, it also comes down to attitude, which says, you shall not covet. So that's an attitude, a thing of the heart. And attitudes may lead to actions. So if your heart, if your heart attitudes are sinful, it may lead to those acts, those actions that are, that are sinful as well. And he goes on to say, Wayne Groom goes on to say, sin is directly opposite to all that is good in the character of God. Sin is directly opposite to all that is good in the character of God. How did the nature of man become captured by sin and rebellion? Uh, you can just unplug the plug. Someone can just unplug the plug, then you can close the door. That's for the generator. So how did the nature of man become captured by sin and rebellion? God tells us that man was created good. Um, and how did that all change? And, it's, and, and there we know. We know where the story is. Um, but why is it beneficial for us to revisit these things? Sometimes you just need a reminder of how this all happened. Um, and why are we in the need of an, an atonement um, through this? Um, and so, 
So this, this, they're in the garden, and the serpent says to, to Eve, um, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So the first thing that Satan does is he challenges the truth. He challenges the truth. Did God really say? <laughs> and you know that's such a common thing now for us. Is what does the Bible really say? Uh, you know, and sometimes we have to examine it for ourselves. There's so many challenges that, that come against us. Did God really say that? Does the Bible really say that? Were Adam and Eve really real people? Um, you know, and all these things that come up and these challenges that come against us. And it's a challenge against the truth because people are, are, are doubting the truth. Even Christians are doubting the truth. They're wrestling with these, these truths. So the first thing that, that Satan does with Eve is he challenges the truth. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they accepted Satan's challenge to believe the truth of God. They listened to him. They listened to this challenge. They entertained this challenge. God said in Genesis 2 verse 17, you will surely die if you eat from the fruit of the tree. Satan said, you will surely not die. So initially he just questioned, he just challenged a bit. But then the next thing is he, he, he outright, um, uh, he, uh, he gave the opposite of what God had said. You will surely not die. So the first thing is a challenge to the truth. The next thing is a faulty choice. There was a challenge to the truth. The next thing was a faulty choice. And I was listening to a, a, another preach this week. And the preacher was making the point. He said that when we make choices, we always make a choice of what we most want. When we make choices, we always make the choice of what we most want. So what do we do? We examine the background, we examine the information, we, we examine the data that's presented to us. And then we say, which of those basic information is most favorable for me? And we come to a choice in that. Sometimes it might be altruistic. Maybe we, we, we say we're going to go and volunteer somewhere and do something which is out of our comfort zone. But the bottom line is even that, we say, I want to do this. Why? Because I'm going to be satisfied by it. Why? It's going to make me feel good. So inevitably, every choice that we make is a choice for what we want to do. What we want to do. After we've examined all the information. <clears throat> Sometimes the problem with those choices is we don't always go deeper. We don't always think what lies behind those choices. What is the information behind that? Where does that information come from? when we make those choices. Who is providing the information? What is the source of the information? I think that's come a lot across a lot lately with all this, what the false 
false things or misinformation and who's information and who's checking the information. Isn't that so? Um, but Eve trusted her own evaluation of what would be good for her. She saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise and that was enough for her. Nothing more, nothing deeper, no. What has the Lord said? You know, what is, what is in God? What does God want? Um, those things that she saw there were enough for her to make a decision. And sometimes we make decisions like that. Um, my daughter's talking this week about how they were trying to help some friends of theirs who were thinking about immigrating. I mean, that's a very topical and very relevant thing. And they've got small children. And they're Christians. She was trying to give some counsel, her and her husband. He's an elder in this church. And, um, and they were just explaining, you know, what, what are you basing your decisions on? What are the major considerations that you've considered um, in, your, in, your, in your thought process in making this decision? And I'm not going to go into the details, but you can imagine, you know, why would someone want to, to immigrate? What would be the uppermost in their mind, especially if they're going to develop country, they're thinking of going to, to, to Germany. And what would be the uppermost considerations in that, in that consideration with small children? Um, and, and she was just explaining how their thought process, how they were trying to encourage them to think of it deeper, about spiritual issues as well um, in their decision. And um, so sometimes we have a faulty choice um, um, uh, uh, pattern when we make these, these decisions. And that's exactly what happened with Eve. And then the final thing is, sometimes there's a disregard for relationship. So instead of accepting God's authority and superiority, um, Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation to be like God. And what would that do? That would just break that relationship. <coughs> that would break that order, that structure, um, and, and sometimes when we make our own decisions, we do not regard relationship. Whether it's our own relationships, but sometimes it's our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We ignore that in favor of something that's just going to please us at, at the time. And so there was this inversion of order and authority in the relationship. And it's, it's just so stark because... Yeah, they, they, there's an audience, there was this audience creation. So God was first, then the creation, then mankind. Oh, sorry, God was first, then mankind as the pinnacle of creation, and then they created the creatures and the, and the, and the environment. And what happened, Jane, in, through what, what Eve, Eve, Adam and Eve did, they took a creature, which was right at the bottom of the chain, and they listened to the creature who created the serpent and said, yes, uh, you know, this will make us wise. And so in a way, they were almost worshipping the, the, the creature and the whole inversion of order um, in the garden. Uh, everything um, was turned upside down. And yeah, it comes to the point, and, and it's, so, it's so obvious sometimes, that sin does not make sense. And I don't know if you've ever been working with your children when they're small 
and you get them to explain to you, okay, why did you, why did you hurt your sister, for example? Why did you take that toy from your sister? And try and work it through logically with them. You know, why, why did you do it? Explain to me. What were you hoping to achieve? Did, did the outcome, did it work out well for you in the end? You know? <laughs> and so, sin does not make sense. And I see it also, you know, I'm involved at the, I think I've mentioned to some of you, I'm involved in the disciplinary committee at a local school. And every time you have this discussion, because you try to also be, uh, re you try to restore the, the, the person, you know, not just, so you're trying to teach them, why, why have you done then what's wrong about it? And it doesn't take long into the yarring, the disciplinary yarring, where it's just so blatantly obvious. What you've done is, was not a good idea. It didn't help you. It hasn't helped anyone else. Um, but yeah, maybe at the time it was great to smoke a joint or to, you know, whatever you've done to, and, and to break a relationship. Um, so it doesn't make sense. And yet it's so powerful. Eh? It's only a powerful thing. Eh? Temptation is a powerful thing. Um, and Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, There is no Lord, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. And in Proverbs, time and time again, we read about how the foolish man disobeys wisdom, don't we? He falls into all kinds of traps and things of sin because he doesn't listen to the wisdom. He doesn't listen to the... It's portrayed as a woman, isn't it, in, in Proverbs? The, <laughs> The wisdom, the woman of wisdom. And, um, yeah, so, so it doesn't make sense. And, and it's, not, it's not logical. Um, and yet it is such a powerful thing. You know, like those billboards on the highway. The, the people who are making those movies know this is going to work. This is what people want to see. And we're going we're gonna to go all out. And the more shocking and the more ugly and the more borderline you know it is the more this is a hit this is going to be a hit this is going to make a lot of money um, and so how did this now appear in God's eyes God is holy mankind is well let's let's start with Adam and Eve Adam and Eve and our sin they've broken that relationship um, how did this now appear in, in, in God's eyes? In God's eyes, was this just a small thing that Adam and Eve had done, and, and now they're out of favor, they're going to be cast out of the, the garden, but you know what, mankind is, is going to come right, this is going to be okay. Um, and, and the next guy's going to choose the right thing. you know. Um, so we know, in Romans 5 verse 12, it says, Paul says, Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. So in God's eyes, this was mankind. This was his creation that had all chosen against him. Uh, and sin now was, has, has con contagion, uh, was a contagion that had spread to the whole of, of humanity. And that's why Romans 5 verse 18 says, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And what should God's reaction have been? God realized, hang on, there's something wrong here. 
This is not what, what I intended to create. And God had the full, God is holy. This is against God's personality. He had the full permission. He was, the, he was in charge. So a logical thing would have been for God to just destroy and start over. Let, let's, let's go back to, let's start all over, create a new, new creation and start all over. But he didn't do that. But he had the full right to do that. David expresses this. King David expresses this so well when he says in Psalm 51 verse 5, and I'm sure we know this. This is after he's sinned. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Remember that Psalm 51 verse 5. And then it carries on from there. Now, let's not get confused. It's not his mother's sin. Because some people think that. They think, okay, it, they were sinful. My parents were sinful. And then in sin they conceived me. That's, that's not what he's saying. And how do we know he's not saying that? Because he carries on. He says, um, have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. Psalm 51 carries on to say that. So we know David understood this. He understood the sin nature um, that, that they're wrestling, wrestling with. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 3, he says, um, Before we were saved, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So what is it saying? It's saying that God's wrath is, on, is upon us as, as, as our, in, our, in our normal nature. And, um, and, and, and again, um, you know, if you think of children, children do not need to be taught how to, to do wrong. Have you ever thought of that? <laughs> and I said with the grandkids, you know, and, and they have such a good home and such a good upbringing. But the little one, like she's, she's two years old now. So maybe I can just quickly tell you the other day we were there and she disrespected me actually. We were, I was playing with her and she, she hit me in the face. And the mother, her mother saw. So I was playing and it was okay, you know, just a game, we're carrying on. The mother saw and said, no, this is now, you've stepped over the line. She's two years old, eh? You've stepped over the line, apologize to Opa because you've done something wrong. She would not apologize. She refused to apologize. <laughs> and um, so, so then, of course, she had discipline from her mother. She had to go to her room and take the consequences and all the rest. And then she was told, now, now you're okay, now go and apologize to Opa. She came out, she stood before me. She, she was about to, then she'd not. She will not apologize. <laughs> so eventually her mother couldn't do anything else. She sent her, put her in her cot. She had a nap, because it was time for a nap. The first thing, so we were there the whole day. So the first thing she does when she wakes up, she says, Opa, sorry, she, she wakes up, she like, it's on her mind. The first thing as she wakes up, Opa, sorry. Her mother says to her, yes, Opa's in the lounge. You need to now go. It's, you awake now. You realize what you've done wrong. You remember. Go. No ways. And eventually it went the whole day like that. So you can, you can imagine. But, but so the, the whole point I'm saying is, um, you know, that, that children, and it's not, you can't say it's, it's the culture or the family or the, whatever to excuse them it's there it's they're born born like that um, 
And unfortunately, society doesn't, doesn't uh, go along with that, most of society. You know, you, you're basically good, and we just need to bring all this goodness out of you, you know. Um, anyhow, <laughs> I'm a bit sidetracked, but it, 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 it relates to what we're saying here about the sin nature. Um, in Ephesians 6 verse 4, just speaking about children, um, it says that we have to teach them to, to do right. Ephesians 6 verse 4 is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's how we handle that sinfulness in, in our children. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, um, so what does that mean? Does that mean that, yes, we understand man can't turn against God. Uh, there was the sinfulness, there's the sinful nature. Um, and yet there is a restraining influence. Um, God's laws are still somehow imprinted on our hearts. Uh, and this is what, what we call God's common grace. Um, there, there is a perception in society, a general perception of, of right and wrong. And so society will call this crimes. You know, if, if you commit a crime, that's kind of society's acceptance of of right and wrong and that and imagine if there wasn't that I mean imagine if you didn't have that kind of perception of you know what this this is the wrong thing if, if, I've, if I've gone and stabbed my neighbor because I was upset with him I've done something wrong um, imagine if we didn't have that uh, that inbuilt um, um, uh, law it says that God's God's laws are, are written on our minds um, as, as society and um, and so we have, for example, we'll have a constitution in a country and, and, and that will govern for that country what is the, the ultimate right and wrong for those people. And I remember um, an interview with Mutsing Mutsing, remember the, the, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, the previous, um, what was he, the con Chief, uh, Justice. Chief Justice, that's right. Um, and remember, he was a strong Christian as well. I don't know if you... And eventually, they derided him because of that. But um, there was this interview with him, and they were talking about the Constitution and how good the Constitution is. And, he's, and what he said there, he said, as a Christian, I can't agree with everything on the Constitution you know, because there's some things that are not in terms of my faith. But we need a constitution, and we need a, a laws that, in, that that are enforceable in the country. And as a as a as a chief justice, he has to apply the laws of the constitution. Um, and you know, you could understand the the, the the turmoil within him, you know, between the constitution and and his own faith, and his position determined that he had to apply these laws. But he's just saying that it's good to have a constitution, and that. And that the country does need a good constitution. I mean, that, that, that is, is known. And where does it come from? The sense in society that there is a right and a wrong. And that's imprinted on, on everyone, on, on our minds. Um, Romans 5 verse 14 says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even, they do, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. 
So even, and talking about the Gentiles here, I was talking about non-believers actually in, the, in this context. So even non-believers, they have this thing written on their hearts and on their conscience. And sometimes people can do good and kind deeds and make good advances for humanity. Sometimes humanity advances and there's good things that come out of society. But without honoring God necessarily in that. So you have atheists who can do some good things. Um, however, as individuals and by our own nature, we totally lack of ourselves any spiritual good before God. Every part of our being is affected by sin. In Romans 7 verse 18, Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And sin in the New Testament is often the same root word is for flesh, for sin. Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, in my flesh. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So they've got an Old and New Testament, just speaking about the sinful uh, heart of man. So how do we reconcile that? How can I say in the previous sentence that I said about our society has got this imprinted on their minds and society can do good, people can do good, and yet it tells us that Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So... The important thing to understand is in comparison to God's holiness, if we compare society, if we compare the general good of society, or even of individuals with God's holiness, there's just no, no comparison. It's desperately wicked. Even the good things that people do. And you must ask yourself, why do people do those good things? Um, what is their motive? Do they want to look good before society? Do they want to look good in front of their family? Do they want to... Um, have a tick box against their name, someone did so much charity, or, or they philanthropist, or whatever. What is their motive for doing those things, those altruistic and those good things? Is it to bring glory ultimately to God, or is there some interior self-motive, even in those things? Max Ricardo says this, he says, um, and you, I'm sure you've heard of Max Ricardo, the, the, the Christian author, he says, the lack of God-centeredness leads to self-centeredness. The lack of God-centeredness leads to self-centeredness. Cele sin celebrates its middle letter. The lack of God-centeredness leads to self-centeredness. Sin celebrates its middle letter. Small s, capital I, small n. Sin celebrates its middle letter. Romans 8 verse 8, Paul says, those in the flesh cannot please God. And Jesus says that apart from me, you can do nothing. This is relating to bearing fruit in our spiritual lives. So, in God's perspective, apart from, from God and apart from Christ, you can do no good thing. Isaiah says, and this is, this is a key verse on what I've just been explaining. He says, all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. Remember when he was in the vision, with the, the, when the angel came to him with the, the burning tongue. 
and he says, Isaiah says, all our righteous deeds are like polluted. He, he realized his, his filthiness in God's presence. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, In the natural fallen state, we are not even able to understand the spiritual things of God, and, have, and we have no, actually have no interest in them. For the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Have you ever thought about why you're here today? For someone out there, you know, who doesn't have, if the Lord hasn't worked in their heart, to come and sit here today, spend their Sunday morning here, is folly, is foolishness. There's so much else we could be doing. And have you ever thought of that? Even the fact that you, yeah, even the fact that you open your, your Bible, even the fact that you are interested to know what prayer is about, means that God, is, God has done something in your heart. It's not of you. Because of what I've explained to you about sin, we are rebellious, we're sinful. We have no interest in God. We have no interest in God's things by nature. That is our nature. And any light that is in our life from God is, is an initiative from God's side. It's not us. That is how, how fallen our nature is. We are, we are, we are rebellious by nature. We, we don't want to even hear these things about God. There's no interest. And that's supported by what it says in Corinthians. The natural fallen state, we're not even able to understand the spiritual things, and we have no interest in them. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to speak to someone about spiritual matters and there's just no connection whatsoever? If you've ever experienced you're trying to share a family member with someone and it's like you you're way out, you know, you the conversation is just there's no there's no connection. They have no interest and, and it doesn't make any sense. You can't even start. There's no common basis. There's nothing. Uh, and this is exactly what, what it's speaking about. And unless God, unless God calls, unless God intervenes by His Spirit, there's no light, there's no illumination, there's no desire. It all comes, isn't it amazing that it all comes from God? Everything comes from God. We in our own are totally depraved and sinful and, and, and have no inclination. That is for how far our sinful nature has. And maybe that helps us understand those soundboards on the highway. Maybe it helps us to understand what, what is the inclination of our own hearts, you know, as society, as mankind. What draws us? What interests us? What gets those juices flowing? You know? Um, and and, and it's, it's totally contrary to God's holy nature. It's, it's totally two contradictory um, opposites. So, today we've just created a bit of a picture and a bit of a background about atonement. Um, and the time is gone. But I hope that it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, sometimes it's good to just go back and revisit the, the basics. Because sometimes in our minds, you know, there's, there's so much clutter. And um, 
we lose track of the basics and where does it all start and how does it start and why does it start and so maybe at a future stage we'll, we'll, we'll be able to share more about the good news of, of, of atonement and remind ourselves of that because I love that, that there's so much depth to that what is atonement you know and all of us yeah know that which is wonderful so you can take what you've you've been reminded of today and and put the atonement in front of that you know and that's the wonderful thing is when you put the atonement and you do that you know this week the next few weeks go and just meditate on the atonement and what does it mean in light of what we've been talking about in light of this this horrible story it's actually a, it's quite bleak at this stage um, and yet there's even a silver lining there the fact that God didn't just destroy everyone says something says there's something else coming there's something more to this and it's wonderful and it's good and God is pleased with what is to come and so let's end on that this morning um, but also a challenge you know the word of God is living living and sharp and active and let's just meditate on that this week let's meditate on these truths um, and um, Hebrews 3 tells us that God may give us a desire to repent and put our trust in him it's not ours but it's given by the prompting of the Holy Spirit see even that if there's something you need to sort out if there's some issues and I'm talking to myself here as well um, it says today Hebrews tells us today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts do not harden your heart and maybe through this word that we the scriptures we read because the word of God is living and active there's a scripture that's just stuck in your heart or some truth that is stuck in your heart this morning and so um, let's trust the Holy Spirit to, to work with that in, in our lives um, this week can I, can I close? close please yeah. Lord we just thank you this morning Lord for for the fact that you have a plan Lord and wow Lord that that the, it doesn't just end there it wasn't just the end when they fell, Lord. And, and that we would be living in this, this terrible world with no hope and given over to these desires and this evil. Lord. Thank you, Lord, that there was a plan and that you, in your mercy, reached out to us, Lord, in our fallen state, Lord. And we just thank you for that. We give you all the praise and glory. And we thank you, Lord, that you bring life, you bring peace, you bring joy and and that there's 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 a, a vision for us lord a vision for our lives but a vision for this this fallen world as well that there's there's something coming that we can look forward to with great expectation thank you lord thank you for your goodness and thank you for this day lord and for each each person here each family that's here would your hand of blessing just be upon them uh, as we go forward into this new week we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.